0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the uh, first week of Neighborhood News Radio. I am your host, Raymond Quinton. I am also executive producer here, and uh, we certainly want to welcome you to the show, and we want to thank you for taking a little time to uh, listen into our internet radio station. We uh, work, are working on a new concept here, new concept of radio, Um, and that we focus primarily on satire, um, news, action radio, and uh, we do want to make the show uh, interesting and informative, but we also uh, want to make it uh, exciting and make it interesting, and we want to explore um, different ideas, different situations, explore the world around us. Um, in a different sort of way. And, you know, we also realize how short a lot of people's attention spans are. So what we'll be doing today, um, this uh, first part of, of our show, the morning show, uh, we, it'll be about 45 minutes. And uh, we're going to be uh, looking at a few different subjects today. As everybody knows, um, there's a whole lot going on in the world right now. Um, so uh, we want to touch on a few things. Um, uh, I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, there is some uh, there are riots going on in Portland, Oregon. There's a pandemic going on. Uh, there's chaos on the political scene. There's chaos at home. There's chaos going on all around us. And as all of you know, there is no shortage of information, opinions, and ideas about everything you see around us. Uh, So uh, my goal with my morning show uh, is not to uh, sort of regurgitate and rehash everything uh, that you've already been processing, um, but to take some of those same subjects and present them in a bit of a different light. Um, Some of that light, of course, is going to shine uh, from my own personal views and my own personal uh, ideas and opinions about things, but I'm the host here. I get to do that. It's my show. And uh, that's kind of one of the beauties of being, um, as they like to call people nowadays, they call them creators. Um, they call them disruptors. Uh, they take any kind of word and put an or er on it. And uh, you you become that, you know, a regurgitator. I am now a regurgitator. if you put an or on it, it sounds really cool. It sounds really interesting. Uh, so uh, I am... Um, some of those things, and as uh, I like to say, I've always done things my own way um, because I—I uh, I don't know. All my life, I've just had ideas, and I've always had um, different ways that you know I've looked at the world. And I'm not saying that you know I'm better. Um, uh, or even necessarily unique, but you know we're all unique. We're all individuals. We all have our own ways of looking at the world, and how we express our opinions and views of the world sort of comes out. And if you happen to be an artist, um, you happen to be creative, like I happen to be an artist and I happen to be creative, then then it it comes out, and it and uh, and it comes out in my own way. So I've created this internet radio station, and um, as you listen today, uh, you. <laughs> You will hear some things you never thought you would ever quite hear on a internet radio station. Never. I'm not saying... Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. It's nothing to be afraid of, but um, it's definitely different. Now, everybody has a different take on humor and satire, what's funny and what's not, and what's off-limits and what's not off-limits. And sometimes... You have to push the envelope a little bit, you know, in order to uh, kind of break through and especially break through those concepts and ideas that people uh, have considered uh, off limits or taboo. Um, You know, race, class and culture, those are things that um, a lot of people consider uh, taboo and off limits. And of course, you know, since we've been inundated, rightly so, uh, with subjects and with news related to that, um then you know, then the natural thing for a lot of people, I think, is just to put the earplugs in and kind of go, I don't want to hear anymore, but that's not, I can tell you right now, that's not a good thing to do. Um, because once you do that, you basically tune out and you turn off and you might as well just go ahead and go get a big bottle of something and drink it and go sit in the corner somewhere because life will continue to go on around you no matter what. And historically, through many, many millenniums, People have had to deal with problems. Back during uh, the time of Neanderthal, there were things running around that, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and it would be staring you down. It would probably eat you, right? So problems are not are always going to be there. They're always going to be around us. Um, the conflicts in society are always going to be there. They're always going to be around us. But the, the, the idea is, the goal is to find balance, to not stop taking in, and not turn off to what's going on around you, but find a way of processing and dealing with it, um, you know, perhaps even in a creative way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is my creative way of taking in processing and dealing with all of the things that I see going on around me. And I will tell you too that um, I didn't just wake up one morning and say, hey, uh, it, this is my way of dealing with, uh, the stresses and strains and all the stuff that I see re- and dealing with life. No, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, so, you know, just very briefly, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, just so you kind of have an idea of who I am. If this is your first time listening to, uh, to the show or hearing anything that I've ever done or, or learning anything about me, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. Those of you who, who know me, which, uh, my, is that a lot of people listening at least you know in the beginning will be people that know me and they're going to be you know sort of saying well you know what the hell was he up to now geez wait he's always up to something all right well i am up to something so those people who don't know me or know anything about me then i'll just give i'll give you the brief you know um sort of 10 cent tour of uh the life and times of raymond f quinton Okay, now So who am I? Um, Well, let's talk a little bit about first of all, let's start from the beginning. I was born in Junction City, Kansas Who the hell has ever heard of Junction City, Kansas? Um, It is a teeny tiny little military town Not quite in the middle of Kansas, but definitely quite in the middle of nowhere and uh spent the first year of my life in kansas and then something incredible happened then um our family packed up lock stock and barrel and moved to france so spent another five years so um five of the first it's about five or six years in chinon france and um got to go to school there, uh, you know, for early school years, you know, learned a little bit of the language, and um, I still remember it, so a couple of years ago, um, my wife and I did get a chance to go back, and and um, I remembered the town, I remembered the tall walls and the, and the thin streets, the skinny little streets there, and so I started having flashbacks, and of course, then there's uh, the Chinon Fortress, uh, high up on the hill, which we we visited. Um, so then, uh, after we came back, we moved to uh, Fort Leonard Missouri. My father was military, so we traveled a lot, and then back to Junction City, Kansas. So I <laughs> ended up <laughs> right back where I started. So uh, uh, my parents decided to, my father decided to retire in Junction City after 20 odd years in the military. And so that's where I grew up. Um, and it was a very small little town and there just was not a lot going on there. So good place to go to school. I went to the private Catholic schools and um, you know there'll be a few other stores uh, a few other shows where I'll have a chance to talk a little bit more about how interesting and terrible it was to grow up in um, Junction City, Kansas um, and uh, there are also some stories just about you know the culture and that of Kansas and the Catholic culture and and um, and I will also say my my parents are from the islands my mother is Jamaican and my father is from St. Croix um, and they both met in Puerto Rico, so, you know, um, our we, family is definitely of Caribbean origins and, and that's very much part of my identity and my culture. You'll hear a little bit, you know, you'll hear a lot about of that um, in the programming that we do here. And um, especially the Jamaican culture, because I just love it. My grandmother um, came to Kansas in 1967 Uh, and she uh, and my mom went back to work, or went to work at that time, and so my grandmother basically uh, raised us during the day and took care of us during the day, and um, I spent a lot of time with her when I was younger, and uh, I just loved to listen to her. I loved to listen to her accent, and uh, uh, I loved to listen to her stories about Jamaica, and Of course, you know, she cooked all the time and read, you know, she was always, you know, reading the astrology to me and doing my horoscope and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, you know, who I was going to marry. And even if I had a girlfriend, you know, in, you know, eighth grade, she would ask, well, you know, you know, what's your girlfriend's sign? And she would, you know, then give me the whole song and dance about how it's not going to work. You're going to end in divorce. But Grandma Greg... was was great. So I float a lot of uh, the island culture um, into some of the programming that we do here. And of course, um, just uh, a lot of memories um, of uh, friends and people, the music and the influences. Uh, My father um, uh, grew up uh, in Puerto Rico as well. So he was uh, uh, born in St. Thomas and then um, grew up in Puerto Rico, so he was a Spanish speaker. Um, and, um, so we heard a lot of, uh, you know, different languages in our households, a lot of different friends from all over, so it was a very multicultural household, and there were also uh, 13 children running around the house, you know, at any given time. So, I've got a lot of brothers and sisters, and I'm one of the youngest. I'm 11 of 13, And, uh, yes, I I have lots of stories to tell about that. Um, So, um, let me just go ahead and uh, give you uh, the station ID uh, again before I continue on. You're listening to Neighborhood News Radio. Uh, You'll find more information about our station at nnrpdx.com or neighborhoodnewsradio.com. If you have an opinion... Um, or if you have feedback for us or if you have stories if you have ideas give us a call we have a voicemail uh, line uh, as well as a text message line it's both it's five zero three five nine two zero three eight three five zero three five nine two zero three eight three go ahead and uh, drop us a voicemail or send us a text and um, uh, in the coming weeks, we will uh, uh, try to get it on the air. If you have a good idea, if you have anything you'd like to contribute along the line of ideas, screenplays, um, readings, anything, anything at all uh, that you might be interesting and compelling, go ahead and send that to us. Text or email, you can reach me at raymondftn at gmail.com. Okay, continuing on with my story. Um so, uh, as you know, as a as a kid, I would never have thought that I would be doing anything like this. I was incredibly shy, at least out in public. You know, at home I was a bit obnoxious, but was, you know, but once I left the house and was in public, I was incredibly shy. You would some sometimes you would hardly know I was even in the room. I spent a lot of time in the library reading books. I re- read everything that I could possibly get my hands on. And I what my sisters and my brothers tell me is that, you know, I couldn't, couldn't stop cracking jokes at home, and I was kind of obnoxious at times. And so <laughs> there, there were times where they would just chase me away. Uh, I do remember distinctly being smacked in the face with a wet mop because I kept annoying my sister while she was mopping the kitchen hopping around and telling jokes and, and being really, really obnoxious. So the the word on the street, at least in our house, was that I was kind of goofy and kind of obnoxious and, and annoyed the hell out of everyone. So, uh, you know, maybe uh, that is, is sort of what, maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's the explanation. Maybe that's why I'm here doing what I'm doing here today. Um, so um, after I grew up in Junction City, I graduated from St. Xavier's High School, Um, In 1977, a way friggin' long time ago, couldn't wait to get out of Junction City, Kansas, and um, went to Kansas State University. I got a degree in journalism and mass communications. I'm a bona fide. I'm the real deal. I am a journalist. And I know that, uh, you know, you don't often get to talk to or meet a real bona fide journalist every day. Um, but I was schooled in the discipline, the journalism arts. I have a degree in uh, uh, Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and Mass Communications. So I went out into the world expecting to um, apply everything that I learned in college. Not just a little bit of what I learned. Everything. And that kind of leads me to uh, where I am today. I have always had a fascination with Radio. Um, and, you know, having a degree in journalism and mass communications, they also taught us a little bit about radio. Um, but primarily I focused on the writing arts. I found out early on that I was a pretty good pretty good writer. I had a talent for it. And um, uh, so it was fairly easy for me to pick up writing news stories. And by having a talent for it, um, this it basically, basically meant that, you know, I could... Um, apply those principles that I was learning in class um, to real world, you know, practical um, journalistic writing. Um, and I sort of understood and adapted to the different styles of it. Oh, you just heard a firecracker. It's almost a, four, it sounded like an explosion, but you just heard a firecracker. It is um, almost the 4th of July. So, anyway, getting back to journalism. Um, and then of course I you know about that time Superman came out and you know I fancied myself I I love science fiction movies and you know superheroes and so I was kind of fascinated with Superman the whole concept of being a reporter and and being you know having you know different uh, having a disguise or being incognito and um, and since I was so shy Being a journalist allowed me to have a reason to go out and it forced me to get way out of my comfort zone and go out and talk to people and ask them questions and be a little uncomfortable. And I found that I uh, really sort of took to that whole concept of uh, getting out of your comfort zone and doing things you never thought that you ever ever thought that you could do just to see if you could do it. Now, again, a lot of people will go through life, and and the idea of deliberately making yourself, putting yourself in a situation where you are extremely uncomfortable, where you have convinced yourself that it's just not natural for you, although I did just the opposite. I look for those things. I look for those situations. I look for those kinds of things to do, which is why, you know, in my sophomore year, I ended up selling books door-to-door in Michigan, which was a... It was, it, was, it was very successful, it was very exciting, and it was also a disaster at the same time, right? And I found that, uh, you know, that I was okay with that. I was okay with um, staying in my comfort zone and going way out of my comfort zone at the same time. You know, one of those sort of anomalous sort of characters um, who, who, you know, imagine myself uh, doing things I never thought I imagined. So once I graduated from college, I went to Denver and all of my journalism instructors, I said, I want to be a publisher. What do I have to do to be a publisher? And I said, you know, they said, well, you, you have to stay in Kansas and work at the Emporia Times or, you know, work at some little tiny little podunk newspaper um, for 40 years. And then maybe one day I could be an editor. I said, I don't want to be an editor. I said, I want to be a publisher. And part of that was because <laughs> I wanted to be in control. <laughs> um, and um, you didn't have much. Control as a, a beat reporter, um, even though I did plenty of that. Um, so I got to Denver, started my first zine, uh, even when zine wasn't even a word. I don't even know if we'd call them zines back then. but It's underground magazine, and uh, I had a great following. I had uh, you know great cast of characters. We would, and then even while doing that, I started doing radio theater. Back then, back in this is in the 80s and uh um started performing uh, with a you know a little radio theater unlimited um i I, you know taught myself to play jazz piano because i love jazz i love music and you know i didn't have the patience to take classes so i taught myself to play jazz piano and ended up playing at the bombay club and again i sort of recommitted at that time to doing all things creative so uh, you know i've tried painting i've tried every kind of art that there is to do, um, you know, it seemed that the most natural things for me was to do, um, was, was piano, writing, and publishing, because publishing allowed me to do design, and there was a lot of tactile stuff there, and I needed to be sort of hands-on, I needed to be, like, building things, I love building stuff, um, and so I did that for a few years and had a great time in Denver, and I was also... By day, I was a geological librarian. I'll tell you more about that another time. As well as a law librarian. So (laughs) it gave me a chance to read about geology, read about the law. Um, Again, I'm I'm just a sponge. I like to absorb stuff. So um, I decided that I was going to take a sabbatical. And um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, after we uh, do a real quick station ID. You're listening to The Morning Show at Neighborhood News Radio. You can find us online at nnrpdx.com, neighborhoodnewsradio.com, Um, If you'd like to give us some feedback or you have ideas or anything you'd like to say or text to us um, or or call and leave a message, you can contact us by phone or leave a voicemail at 503-592-0383. You can also find station schedules um, at www.neighborhoodnewsradio.com. Okay, continuing on with my story, where I was, it was in Denver. Okay, so from Denver, um, after I, you know, again, the creative mind is a, it's kind of a chaotic place at times. So, you know, after four, f- five, four years in Denver, I got a little restless and um, I needed to get out of the, the Rocky Mountains and get to the coast. So I went to the coast via london (laughs) i quit my job sold my stock liquidated my 401k um and uh took people's express anybody remember people's express people's express to london i rode on a 747 that was you know pretty much empty you know uh, i i i it was so empty that that i was able to stretch out in the center rows because there was nobody really nobody right there were maybe 20 people on this plane there was a huge recession it was 1985 it was you know December 28th 1985 there was a huge recession and people were just not traveling you know the way they are now so you know the people's express had just started it was $250 I think one way and then I had uh, $250 to get back Um, So I took a one-way trip and bought my ticket later, Uh, my return ticket later, and so I rode the People's Express to London to spend some time with uh, one of my older brothers, Um, and uh, so I spent four months there, January, February, March, four months there, um, just sort of exploring, going to museums, you know, kind of hanging out, um, spending some time with my brother, making friends, and then... Uh, I took People's Express back to Denver, got a one-way ticket to San Francisco, and you know that's where uh, the excitement really started. is in San Francisco. So, again, I'll, y- y- over the coming months, weeks, months, and years, you'll learn more and more about um, you know my career, my background. Um, but when I got to San Francisco, that's when I really sort of committed to being a professional uh, publisher, journalist. I, after a few months of being there, working downtown, I got a job with um, a company that published cookbooks, um, ortho ortho books. They published cookbooks, home home and garden books, um, home improvement books, uh, building books. And so I was an assistant editor there for the next, you know, three to four years. And while I was there, I decided I was going to write a guidebook for lunch in downtown San Francisco. And and I self-published it. I did all the research, reviewed 300 restaurants downtown. I wrote uh, a guide called The Afternoon Lunch Guide to San Francisco's Financial District. And voila, it was a huge, ginormous hit. I sold so many books, I did not quite know what to do. Um, and it was quite by accident. I just wrote it so that I'd know where to go to lunch. Because every day, where are you going to lunch? And so I said, I'm going to write a book about it. Hey, I got an idea. i to write a book about it and it was reviewed and you know all the major newspapers and i was doing interviews and you know i did even on pbs and and you know uh, i it was my brush with fame and as i say in my book my first memoir book i didn't really like being famous it wasn't it's not all that it's cracked up to be i mean. You know, I know a lot of people dream about being famous and doing interviews and doing talk shows and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I can tell you firsthand, uh, you know, when I got up in the morning, all I wanted to do, I just wanted to work. I wanted to write. I wanted to have fun. I was a kid. I was 27 or 28. I don't remember. Um, I didn't want to go to a studio and do interviews and be on the spotlight. It was very frustrating for me. Plus, I was running the company, and I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Um, I was selling lots of books books, but I was spending lots of money on production and all that other stuff, and things just weren't working out, and so it ended up being a little bit of a disaster, so, you know, who would have thought that being, you know, famous, you know, would lead to such a colossal disaster, um, and, uh, so I, I did file my first bankruptcy, um, I was a 27 or 28, um, because when you make money, you have to pay taxes on it, right? And if you don't pay taxes on it, then they're going to chase you down. And there's a great story in my first memoir book about that whole experience. So you have to buy my first book called Riding by the Seat Riding by the Seat of My Pants, um, memoir book number one, uh, available at Amazon. And it is a great story um, about writers and taxes. So that I sort of took that experience and uh, met. Uh, a gentleman there who was interested in starting some magazines um, since I was very much aware of production and I wanted to learn more didn't want to be famous but I still I wanted, just wanted to you know just write and you know produce magazines and be involved in the media he and I hooked up um, and his name is Drew and we're still friends today and we started the uh, two magazines, the, the Commercial Property Guide, which kind of took off, did really well. Um, he's, he also uh, already started the Rental Guide, and, you know, we worked on that. And then he and I started the Bay City Guide, which if you've, if you've ever been to San Francisco in the last 30 years or so, you've seen the Bay City Guide. Um, it recently stopped discontinued print publications last year, but it uh, was one of the most successful um publishing companies the guide publishing group in San Francisco and one of the companies that you know stood the test of time because we we pre- created the best guide and it really was and um, then you know I moved on from there to um, continue my career in publishing I've published lots of magazines and newspapers to date just I'm gonna fast forward a little bit because I have some uh, things I want to get to um outside of my own personal career. Um I've I've published so many news newspapers and magazines that I forget. I've published eight books uh so far uh covering a lot of different genres. Um and again I forget because I'm you know, again I'm very forward thinking. I like to just sort of keep creating. So now here I am today. Um uh, you know, starting this radio station, and, um, so I, I'm going to sort of just stop talking about myself right now, because I do want to get to a few things before the hour is over, um, but that kind of gives you an idea. I'm, I'm basically, you know, a creative doer, um, but I'm also, uh, I like to consider myself, uh, you know, sort of an advocate, you know, for, um, for diversity and inclusion in the media world, and, um, as I mentioned, as, we, as the weeks go by, you'll learn a little bit more about the types of things that I have been involved in and types of things that I have tried to do to uh, level the playing field for uh, people of color in the media and f- to have the media um, p- not just play a neutral role um, in the evolution of the society, but to play an active role um, again, I could have spent you know 40 years you know covering news stories about everybody and everything else, but that's not what I wanted. Um, I really wanted to uh, sort of drive the conversation. I wanted to be the director. I wanted to um, have more impact than just uh, be a by- bystander um, and taking that oath of neutrality and not getting in the fight. So um, I'm going to stop talking about myself. We're going to do another station ID, and then when we get back. Uh, I do want to um, sort of focus on some uh, uh, some topics that are uh, a little bit more uh, you know, related to current uh, current affairs. So we're going to do another station ID, and uh, I'll be right back. You're listening to the morning show at Neighborhood News Radio, NeighborhoodNewsRadio.com. You can find us online at www neighborhoodnewsradio.com or nnrpdx.com If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, send us some feedback. Um, uh, You can call or text 503-592-0383 503-592-0383 This is The Morning Show. I'm your host, Raymond Quinton. Um, Also, um, executive producer here at neighborhood news radio all right so let's continue on so um so there's a lot of stuff going on related to race class and culture which those three things have been sort of the primary Uh, they've always been i've always included them in just about everything you know that i've written creatively um from my uh, novel you know a pitch in crime to my memoir books um so i do want to sort of talk a little bit you know i think i've, I've tried to take it from a, a little bit a different perspective i try to sort of approach it a little bit differently um and uh, i'll tell you a, bit, a little bit more about that in a minute So let's talk uh, a minute about race, class, and culture. As I said, I've tried to integrate uh, my personal concepts into everything that I write. So I wrote a book called *A Pitch in Crime*, and uh, you know, basically, it's kind of a cheesy, you know, um, crime novel, Um, but it's it's semi-based on a true story, and uh, and so I threw every kind of evil. Weird, crazy character, I could. It's an incredibly mediocre piece of work, but that's not really what it's all about. Um, it's about the messages. And the messages, I believe, are very clear because all of the characters in this novel um, are dealing with uh, different levels of, uh, you know, trying to identify with race, class, and culture and the society around them. And uh, one scene, which I particularly really like in this novel, um, I'm actually going to read for you, and then uh, I'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute, because this is a scene. Uh, the main character, of course, is uh, you know an incredibly creative African American um, who has a, w- uh, a white friend who he spends a lot of time with, and um, this white friend is also um, incredibly wealthy. And they often get together to have uh, lunch and talk about issues. And so they decided that they were actually going to do a pilot, you know, for the local PBS station um, called Two Guys Having Lunch and Talking Tough. This particular episode that they're filming at Jake's famous seafood restaurant here, um, they delve into the issue um, that is particularly relevant today. And I'm going to read a little bit for you. They're having lunch. And so I'll start, um, you know, right where they sort of get into the issue. Um, So um, let's get started here. All right. Let's dive into the black and white friendship issue, Phil. You've never held anything back over the years, and I've learned a lot from you. But an issue we've never discussed is black and white male friendships. Well, never had to. We've always operated under a presumption of friendship, even though there are cultural, religious, and economic bridges between us. I've I've never questioned our ability to be friends. I have, Rich said. Well, what question is there? I don't have a chip on my shoulder, but I'm black. And I'm white. So what? In the deeper recesses of my subconscious, I can't help but think that you'd rather spend your time with a white person than a black person. That's outrageous, Phil said, looking slightly shocked. Well, it's supposed to be, Rich shot back. But it may also be true. Think about it, Phil. We're all victims of social conditioning from birth. That conditioning in some cases is unconditional, and it's perpetuated by magazines, newspapers, television... From the image of uh, the all-American boy to the ideal friendship. Wouldn't you agree with that? Phil thought for a moment, then replied, I would agree with some of that. The conditioning part, I agree with. The unconditional conditioning, I wouldn't. There are always exceptions. Or, we, as thinking adults, have the opportunity to create exceptions. So, you think our friendship is one of those that you, I, I mean, we created?" Absolutely, Phil answered. Well, tell me about your conditioning. Where did black people fit into the picture in your childhood, Rich asked. What black people, Phil answered. There were no black people in my neighborhood in Connecticut. As children, we believed that all black people lived only in Harlem or on plantations in the South. I had no knowledge of black people as pioneers, cowboys, surgeons, dentists, things like that until after I graduated from high school. The civil rights movement was always characterized in our household as uppity Negroes stirring the pot, and we always asked, why can't those people be satisfied with what they have? This question flowed effortlessly from the lips of my father, a prominent, well-respected lawyer. So when did your reconditioning begin, Rich asked? During college. That's when I met my first Coloreds, as we called you people back then. Coloreds, you people, Rich fired back. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Well, that was the vernacular, Phil responded. This is reality TV, right? Let's call it like it is. Let's call a spade a spade. A spade, Rich exclaimed. You and me are going to have to have it out right now. I'm not a you people. Honkies use a, a aha. Phil said. It's in there. Come on, Rich, let it out. Let the anti-white people conditioning flow. You'll feel better. Well, okay. I admit. It's there, Rich conceded. My conditioning was obviously a little different from yours, but the result was the same. My conditioning was fueled by being around too many white people who hated me. They tolerated me because I went to a mostly white Catholic school, and, you know, the Catholics in America are convinced that all important catholics are white and that catholicism is a hierarchical structure based on ethnic origins and gender white males run the show with the pope being the alpha male women being breeders and homemakers and blacks and other ethnic groups are to be subjugated by the pope and god white men get to heaven first white women second and all other people of color wait in line at the back door to maybe get their souls saved. Whoa, Rich, that's some pretty heavy shit, Phil said. Uh, You want to put that into plain English? Yeah, Rich said. All those white Catholic assholes used to piss me off, calling me nigger and shit and complaining about homosexuals, Jews, and Mexicans. Is that plain enough for you? That's better. Now, deep inside, you hate me. You hate all white people. Absolutely not, Rich answered. I hate what you represent. That's what African-Americans have had to deal with. We're motivated by hatred and anger brought on by centuries of abuse. We know we did not create this paradigm. We were unwillingly forced into it. White people were not forced to come to America and be slaves. If the roles were reversed and black people had brought white people here to work in the fields and treat them like animals even to this day, white people would be pissed off about that shit too. On the other hand, most white people hate black people because we survived all the shit they threw at us. They hate us out of fear and ignorance. They on, The only reason they want black people to go back to Africa is because they now realize their forefathers made a tactical error. I'll be the first to admit it. They got greedy and lazy and brought over too many Negroes. E. B. Ibidwa wrote extensively about this. If early settlers wanted to work the fields themselves, there would have never been what they call the Negro problem, and it would have been easy to selectively exclude people of color from America. What can I say? They fucked up. And we have been catching hell for it ever since. Now, people watch reruns of Leave It to Beaver and watch Gone with the Wind over and over and over get pissed off when they see a black person walking in their neighborhood. They're thinking, We fucked up. Shouldn't have been lazy bastards. Now we can never, ever have a white nation. That's powerful social medicine at work. Now I'm going to go ahead and read this next paragraph because, and then I'll wrap it up here, but the next paragraph is really relevant here. So, um, Phil says, Well, I saw a little bit of that in our household, Rich. Phil said, We were not necessarily taught to hate. We were simply not taught enough. I don't know which is worse, because to us, black people were not really real. You were more of a color, an entity, this black thing, not to be discussed and not to be associated with. Black was an it, not a they. Whenever my father heard news about black people on the radio, he always seemed to make sure we heard him say, oh, for God's sake, can't those people ever be satisfied. So he never said, hate those people. But he never said not to. So anyway, they go on like this for another two or three pages, and as I said, I uh, you know you know I get a bit wordy, and you know I you know it's preachy, it's a preachy novel, but it, it, these are all important ideas. So I you know can you can you throw social justice in the middle of a crime novel? Yes, absolutely. I think what those two characters were talking about is sort of the central plexus, the heart of the issue that we have before us today. Um, And that's what's fueling um, a lot of the um, oppression that we see in this country. And again, I'll talk a little bit more about that, but I would love to, you know, sort of get some, uh, hear what you think about it. And uh, um, again, since this show is, is just me... For right now, and perhaps one day I will have some guests, and we can talk about these particular issues. Um, then I'd, I would love to hear what you think about that. So um, you know, you can uh, you can contact me. You can uh, text me five nine nine two five zero three five nine two zero three eight three five zero three five nine two zero three eight eight three. I would love to hear what you think about those ideas, and you what you think about that discussion. Um, because I, you know, to sort of sum it up the real challenge that we have uh, in this country and even around the world um, is that um, black people in particular, specifically, um, are just not viewed, they're not viewed as whole humans, not viewed as real people. They're not, you know, we um, are a color. um, And we are this, we are sort of people that are kind of in the way um uh, uh, at least a lot of white people view us as being in the way of society as not really having contributed to society um, and so you know as i'm travel as my wife and i did a uh, bike tour of europe and i really wanted to go to europe because again i connect the dots of you know sort of the global world society and everybody's contribution to it and so i w- I like to travel in Europe, and I really wanted to sort of validate some of the contributions that um, that black people in particular um, have made towards the evolution of all great societies over uh, throughout all of the world. So I would tell my friends, I said, well, you know, I'm really anxious to go to Europe because I'm really searching for my roots, and then I would stop. And most people would kind of either smirk or kind of laugh and be like, yeah, <laughs> what do you mean you know you're you're searching for your roots and i said well you know i don't know i really I and i really wasn't i wasn't trying to be um obnoxious or anything like that but i i, I really felt that there was some reason why i you know needed to spend more time in europe um because of all that i'd read you know as a kid again i'd read encyclopedias for fun for crying out loud so there's there's, there's knowledge that I began absorbing at a very young age. So, um, uh, when we finally got a chance to do this uh, bike tour, we did four, and uh, this was 2018, we did uh, four countries. We started in Germany, uh, rode our bikes, uh, but you know, train and bike to, um, uh, to France, and then from France to, to um, Switzerland, um, and then um, back to France and then to Denmark and then back to Germany. And uh, all the you know all the time that we're traveling I would go to the first stop would always be the history of the city. Um, what was fascinating is we read the history of every city and of course it's it's connected to the history of the country and you see sort of the same you know stories um, sort of repeating themselves over hundreds of years. Um, and, um, then, of course, they also, you see the connectivity of all the European countries and then the connectivity of all the European countries and all of the colonies. Um, and you see the connectivity of countries and conquerors and kings and queens and, you know, all this other stuff. And it's all, the whole world is connected. Um, and of course, you know, uh, people forget that, that America... Was populated by people from all over the world. It's, again, I, it, uh, it just defies, you know, sort of, you know, it's mind boggling to me uh, that uh, uh, the people's memories are so short or knowledge is so thin about just sort of the history of the world, the history of the United States, the history of America. It's sort of that selective memory. It's, 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 again that's why i said even early on when i first started out yeah okay you know times are hard right now society's in chaos but you know society is society is always in chaos you know if you're aware of the world around you um and that's what that's what you know sort of i think motivates people that's what keeps us alive um is to acknowledge what's going on around us but just to sort of put our blinders on and and go, well, yeah, that was just a long time ago. I mean, that just seems so short-sighted and so boring, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, as, w- so again, I'm, I'm, I, we did this tour. I'm absorbing, it's a, it's fantastic trip, right? we're, we're visiting with friends and family and, and we're riding every day, 20, 30 miles um, uh, along the Rhine River and staying at, uh, at hostels, um, uh, Burgers, um, and we're eating great food, and we're exploring, and I'm learning, and, um, and it's hot because that was the heat wave, and, uh, and again, I'm sort of developing, I'm evolving sort of a sense of place, right, as a, as a Caribbean American, you know, in Europe, uh, you know, I'm learning, that that the the connection to the caribbean is very real and it's becoming more and more solidified and i'm seeing all these fabulous places that were built on the wealth of you know the, of the colonies and off of the you know uh, african slavery slavery and african resources um and black people um and i'm um, it's solidifying you know sort of that that concept of black people's contribution to the evolution of these fantastic cities and societies and, um, uh, l- one of the last countries that we visited before going back to Germany was Denmark. And we, we, uh, rolled into the on a train and, um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we got our Airbnb and then the next day we, we went to one of the, uh, pri- primary museums there, museums of history, and learned about, because I wanted to learn about the Vikings, right? <laughs> um... And of course this museum was fantastic. It had five floors. And uh and so they had the whole history of the Vikings. Um and and the you know the early people of of uh, the the of, the of the region. And uh, and uh I spent you know we were there for 2 hours and we were getting ready to leave and my wife comes up to me and says, "Hey, Raymond, did you see this exhibit?" So it was kind of tucked away on the side. It was a pretty big exhibit, but you know, uh, we were planning on coming back the next day because we just didn't have enough time. Um, so um, we go around the corner, and I look up at a screen, and the screen has a black and white movie of a um, uh, uh, of a uh, black man talking, and they've got the captions, you know, underneath, you know, in in English, and. Uh, um, He's, you know, speaking Danish. And uh, I'm going, wow. And check this out. This man looked very, very much like like my dad. And I kind of sw- froze on my tracks and I looked. And then uh, it, you know, it dawned on me. And, I, and there's so much history. Just, again, you you kind of get lost. You get, you, you know, you forget right? There's so much history. There's so much connectivity. Um, uh, And so it turns out that that this whole history, this whole section of the library was about the colonization of the Virgin Islands because the Virgin Islands uh, were a Danish colonial, they were a Danish colony. And and St. Croix in particular. And I had totally forgotten about that, and maybe that was that thing, sort of in the back of my head, that was calling me and saying, uh, "There's some connectivity that there is. It's there," and sh- and sure enough, and this exhibit was amazing. I mean, they were actually um, talking candidly just about the atrocities um, in the in the islands and what a terrible thing it was, and so the Danish and uh, this museum was uh, was was sort of acknowledging um, that uh, you know. W- w- this wrong that was do, what that was done in the islands and acknowledging the people and and I learned a, a, a lot of history about St. Croix that I never knew before uh, did I have to go was it kind of this huge circuitous route that I took to find you know a little, uh, little more connectivity you know with uh, with with uh, with Europe um, but again you know life is kind of mysterious um, and so this was a fantastic way to you know, sort of, and uh, the one of the final legs of, of our tour, um, and you know, I I am writing uh, another book. As I said, I've written many books. I just can't stop writing, and so I do want to sort of end this end this show um, with again. I think uh, something uh, a passage from a, a work in progress that I think is is relevant to um, what the world. Is sort of realizing today, not realizing, but is experiencing today and seeing today, um, and what I hope um, more people, um, you know, are becoming more aware of. Um, And so I'm going to read this passage, you know, from the first chapter. It's actually the introduction uh, of a book that I've been writing for years um, called Mule to Man. Um, uh, the uh, a plan for a new American Negro, um, and uh, I also tagged two on there. You know, it's the, the title is a work in progress, um, but essentially it is a plan for p- uh, people of African descent, for Black people all over the world, and in particular in America and the islands. Uh, you know where my family is, um, because they think it's I think it's great that that, um, that we're calling attention to all the issues that have been plaguing black people in particular, and um, for the last uh, I guess it's maybe been three to four years i've been I've been working on what I call the plan uh, for black people, for African Americans in particular, um, so that we have a playbook because um, we have plans. For, you know, for, w- for wins, for, um, for advocating for, for fighting for, and, and gaining and making progress in all these tiny little pockets of, uh, of uh, the culture and the society. But I also believe that um, we need to have a contiguous, organized plan for our future. Because if we don't, then, you know, again, as I've seen as I've, while I've traveled, you know, people forget. And when people forget, they go back to the same old thing. And, and it's, it's been so easy uh, for people, uh, f- for black people to be uh, the targets for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's been so easy. You know because we stand out in a crowd you know we, we can't hide you know we, we, we can't wear disguise we you know and, and again there's there is some something about there's this sort of this weird thing um, going on in our society where uh, you know we are just the, the, the we, we, we are the targets um, we are the others and I don't like it and that's what needs to change so we as black people, um, have to keep organizing and we have to and we you know we will have to work together and we will have to have an organized plan um, not, so that we don't forget so that so that nobody forgets and so that we take these all these hundreds and hundreds of little you know uh, points of progress that we've made and bring them together into a, a larger larger greater societal movement that movement evolves around being recognized as Black people being recognized first and foremost as human beings and welcomed into every neighborhood, every faction of society, and being equal. That is the end game. Uh, So anyway, let me go ahead and uh, read this. Let's do a little station ID and then I'll be right back and I'll uh, read this passage. And uh, we're going to, uh, we're heading towards the top of the hour. And uh, um, I want to thank you very much for spending some time with me. There's a whole lot of food for thought. A whole lot to talk about. So uh, we'll do a quick station ID. And uh, we'll um, conclude the show. And uh, I'll be right back. You're listening to Neighborhood News Radio. www.nnrpdx.com If you have something you'd like to say. Or you'd like us to uh, to share online uh, with our listeners. You can text or call... Five zero three five nine two zero three eight three five nine two five zero three five nine two zero three eight three. You're listening to Neighborhood News Radio. www.nnrpdx.com. www.neighborhoodnewsradio.com. Okay, so uh, let's sort of wrap up the show here with some. Now this is some pretty heavy stuff here, um, but as I said early on, you know, heavy is not bad. Um, you know, we, through marketing and advertising and, and media, we've been lulled into uh, this concept and this idea uh, that we, you know, shouldn't go too deep at any given time, that we should keep it light, uh, that we should never get into any kind of political, um, ethnic, racial, um, any kind of heavy discussions with anybody. Um, and, and that sort of, you know, sort of marketing... Is what sort of keeps people passive and keeps them, you know, uh, keeps them, uh, you know, sort of lulled and 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 quiet and not making too much noise and not really going against the system. And that's exactly what um, the people in power would love, right? If you were in power and you, you had a lot to lose, if, if people suddenly became enlightened and aware, well, you would want people do not talk about stuff because once people start talking about stuff then things start to change and things start to happen um so um i i i do believe and this has always been a real challenge for me uh, which is why i um hate to say it i don't really spend a lot of time with a lot of people um because too many people like to keep it so light and airy and fluffy and and because you know when you get in and and and, and Even worse, people don't don't really know how to disagree with each other. Now, of course, when you travel, you find out that different cultures, different people um, have uh, learned quite effectively how to disagree. um, and have learned uh, quite effectively how to resolve disagreements and how to disagree and still be friends. Um, But that is just a huge challenge from what I see in this American culture and in this society. I see it too often. You say something uh, that's not outrageous or anything like that, but um, it kind of it's considered disagreeable, and everybody stops talking. It's the weirdest thing. Okay, so I'm going to read this. Uh, As I said, it's a bit heavy, but this book is a bit heavy, but in an optimistic, positive way. But you know, in order to get to the optimism and get to the positivity and get to the solution, you have to acknowledge the problem. So this is just an excerpt from the book called Mule to Man um, uh, um uh, a plan for uh, uh, a new uh, a new uh, african-american I, again the 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 title is in progress i'm i'm probably two chapters in but let me go ahead and read this for you most whites don't acknowledge the important contributions of negroes to society and sadly many white people are too busy today posting pictures of their fabulous lives to really care but i still care and so do most negroes around the world my family is from jamaica saint croix the caribbean was the destination for the largest number of captured black humans many in europe never thought much about where their sugar came from but it was my ancestors who worked and died so the royal family in britain could have a nice sweet cup of tea sugar was a staple ingredient in bread and lots of things all over europe and the energy from sweet foods kept soldiers alive strong and fighting to hold front lines during world war one and world war two this is not an in this is not an insignificant contribution to society sugar meant wealth it was sweet gold the revenues from the sold crops bought ammunition gold silver clothes and help societies build fantastic monuments called cities through their unfounded wealth. The sale of black humans created great wealth for noblemen, kings, and churches. European society flourished off of the wealth of the colonies and off of the hard work of black humans. And all black humans want now, in return, is to be recognized as humans allowed in, allowed to participate, and allowed to grow Learn and prosper as humans. We want equal access to what we help build. And there you have it. Again, that's just one paragraph. But sometimes all it takes is just one paragraph to illuminate a situation. And then you got to talk about it. Because if you don't talk about it, it goes nowhere. Again, you know, there are millions and millions of books written in the world. But if nobody reads them and if nobody talks about them, nothing happens. So um, we're just about out of time here. Um, and, uh, again, this has been a, it's been a great to be you know, able to spend a little bit of time with you here. Um, and this first hour is my chance to, uh, to explore ideas and maybe get to rant a little bit. But, uh, uh, every day, every week, it's going to be a little different. Um, and so, you know, we'll get into some heavy stuff, too. You've got to get, into, as I said, you've got to get into some heavy stuff. Um, and you've got to approach it with an open mind. And an open heart and that's what makes it interesting it's not uh, about you know being disagreeable or being or disagreeing um, as a uh, as a human of African descent I can tell you firsthand that all I really want is just equal access I want an equal equal shot and I want to be viewed um, like anybody else I want to be viewed as, as a human being capable of uh, you know, in, with an opportunity to enjoy the life that I've given, uh, capable of of experiencing you know great hope, great joy, great love, uh, capable of uh, sharing, capable of <laughs> making people you know laugh. The greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts we can give in this lifetime, is the gift of laughter. And and of course, one of the greatest gifts we can give people is 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 uh, the gift of making people think and that is sharing ideas and not just going with the status quo and not just going with what everybody says because if we all went with what everybody says I can tell you right now I have traveled in many countries you know uh, around the world um, uh, nothing would have ever changed and uh, uh, we would not see some of the great things that we see going on in, in the world today there are still even in, in the face of all the conflict and all the controversy um, there are still some great things going on in the world, and, and I can tell you right now um, that, uh, that some really good things will come out of these terrible tragedies, but we don't, of course, we hope that um, you know, we wish, and it's sad that we have to go through this chaos and experience these great tragedies in order, um, in order for people's eyes to be opened um that there is such a great need for things to change so i'm going to end it right there um so uh, enjoy the rest of the show we've got uh, uh we'll be uh, broadcasting um new programming at the top of every hour uh, until three o'clock this afternoon um there's some uh, really fascinating programming that we've got set up you can go to a, to find the schedule you can go to www.com neighborhoodnewsradio.com we have the full schedule posted there and um, you know you pop in the top of every hour the content changes at the top of every hour um, check the schedule again I don't expect you to listen for eight hours uh, I know it's kind of hard you might be driving you got things to do um, but here's the great thing um, same program daily program uh, plays for the entire week all the shows will come on at approximately the same time. There's a little bit of a lag because it is an auto-DJ. And um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about uh, this whole process of developing this radio station and some of the experiences that I'm having here too. And, uh, then, uh, and then, of course, we're going we're to have a little fun. Uh, we are going to push the, uh, push the envelope here a little bit on, on satire. We've got a whole cast of great characters who are going to be producing uh, satirical songs and music. Um, we have, uh, you know, one of my, face, one of my favorite um, contributors is uh, uh, Starship Captain Desmond, uh, who uh, is, doing, is going to be producing some reggae songs for us. Uh, his first one, Farewell Jamaica, is outrageous, and he's working on his second one right now, and it's called uh, uh, No Teat Food. Um, and I I can give you a little it has something to do with uh, with dentures Um, and then uh, DJ Franklin and uh, DJ Senior are working on uh, uh, it was a good day I didn't have to tap into my 401k (laughs) so anyway (laughs) um, thank you again for uh, uh, spending a little time with me this morning Um, again pop in uh, tomorrow same time this uh, is pre-recorded So you'll find this uh, same intro if you missed anything. And if you have something you'd like to share uh, with us here at neighborhoodnewsradio.com, call us or text us at 503-592-0383. Again, take out your little phone, take your little thumbs, and type in 503-592-0383. And I will get our station manager uh Bob Simmons will get a direct text message or you can leave a you can leave voicemail anytime it is our voice text message line uh, so anyway enjoy the rest of the show everybody have a great day and uh I will see you again next week